0: Today, my guest on the Mishmash podcast is my friend, Mike English, uh, otherwise known as Crossing Guard Mike, a, a local legend around town.
1: <laughs> or a legend in his own mind.
0: That's right. Well, who knows? After this, I'm pretty sure Roxanne's going to say your head's not going to fit through the door. So She already does. Well, and didn't somebody knit you a hat yes. recently? Yes, so Miss Sarah. She's, you're going to need a bigger one, I think, after this. <laughs> so a little background information here. So Mike and I met... Was it I don't think it was last year, I think it was the last three years
1: ago, three now. years
0: ago, right? Yeah. For the Cove Road. Mike was stationed at uh, Cove Road Elementary, which at the time was where my oldest son Tim was attending. And we just sort of hit it off, I guess, with uh, the morning walk. I To my surprise, my eleven year old son wanted me to walk with him, and you know, it was a good bonding time. I had no qualms about it, but uh, I noticed that uh, if I got there a little early, Mike was friendly. Yeah. We started a chat and we had two topics that came up almost exclusively.
1: Right. Well, first, I thought it was so cool that you, I mean, you could see the affection between you and, and Tim. Because, you know, you he'd hug you most mornings, you know, upon leaving. And I just think that is like so fantastic that you have that nice of a relationship with your, you know. It's 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 awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. And and he and that's the thing. When he hit those tween years, I was already bracing myself for that. What I viewed as the inevitable push off. You know, mm-hmm. it's the firstborn son and father and all that.
1: No, it's what happens in most you know families. Sure.
0: Right. And and you know, especially too that year. So that first year, as a matter of fact, was that quasi COVID year. It was when the kids were in school, kind of halftime with all the plexiglass mm-hmm. and whatnot. <laughs> It was, but you know what? They were out of the house, and we didn't have to do all the virtual stuff, so I wasn't complaining. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did expect by sixth grade, which was when we we really started the. I I made it a point in sixth grade to get there earlier both times, just right. to, to squeeze in some extra <laughs> conversation time.
1: I stopped being the crossing guard. I just started hanging out.
0: That that was it. Uh, listen, you you've always been for anyone listening that you know may have uh, an interest in it. Mike has always been diligent at his post, Thank uh, you. and yeah. I think that's why so many of the parents respect you and appreciate the effort even the kids remember what, what they call you mike uh, mike green or no, Cor- green mike green yeah. mike
1: because they asked me what my favorite color was
0: yeah it's, and to be fair it was
1: a good group of kids too that, that oh they specific were year. They, all that well again i wouldn't have taken a bunch of kids over <laughs> to romeo's for pizza if it wasn't for the fact that i thought they were really pretty neat so
0: right and that's perfectly indicative of the guy you are yeah. and Thank so you. Yes, yeah, so with Tim, you know, uh, it started being less about him. There were some days I think the poor kid was standing there like, oh, my God.
1: waiting. Wait. come on, Dad, it's time to go home.
0: <laughs> I, I, and I tried to be cognizant of it because I remember as a kid – The average time for a single trip to the grocery store borderlined on three hours because, you know, we had the one car, which my dad had at work. So my mom and I had to walk to the grocery store, well, the Mm. supermarket rather. And she met and knew everybody on the way there while she was there on the way back. And so I've unfortunately (laughs) for Heather and the kids haven't inherited that uh, mayor gene, um, which I think we both share, you and I. but, And so I wanted to... Take our three-year-long music conversation onto the podcast because I enjoy speaking with people about different things, and there's no one who knows more about music and who is as passionate about it as you. And I felt like this would be not necessarily entertaining, if anything, informative for people who are who are interested in it. So
1: I don't know about more knowledgeable about music. No, I I know what I like, and yeah. You know, not afraid to tell people who it is that, you know, the bands that really do it for me. And had a, I, I think it's a pretty interesting musical history because I I like so much music. I mean, and there isn't a genre that I haven't at least listened to. You know, uh, when it first came upon us, the rap era, I was like, oh, my God, what is this crap? But the more I listened and the more I listened to what people were saying about it, it was just a a natural evolution of music. I'm not a big fan of it, but I, I do listen to rap as well. I, yeah, you know, it tells a good story.
0: Uh, and, and I love, and, and that's the thing too, right? With music, I feel like too many people are too closed off. They're closed minded. They are intentionally, well, maybe unintentionally, but they're <laughs> self-limiting is the way I would put it. Okay. I've heard so many people say, oh, I hate country. That seems to be the big one. Oh, I hate country. You know, it's all pickup trucks and this. Right. And it's a, a broad stroke to, to paint yeah. with because there's so many subsets. And, all, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, it, two types of music I don't like country and Western. Country and Western. <laughs> yeah.
1: <right>. yeah. <laughs> That's what I hear.
0: Right. And, and I mean, listen, you've got the the outlaw era, right? So you mm-hmm. have you know, Willie and, and Johnny and all those guys, mm-hmm. Waylon. But then there's, you know, more. I feel like country specifically has evolved the most because now there's all this pop country, country and rap-ish sort of stuff. But then still, for me, I've learned, and and I'm biased in this regard because I play music too. I I mean, when you got here, I was sitting at the piano. So I just, Mm -hmm. it helps, you know, steady the mind and gives the hand something to do. (laughs) Uh, But for me, That's also why I'm such a voracious, not just consumer of music, but explorer of it, because you mentioned rap, right? Rap is a great example. I think that people listen to music, and they listen for the instrumentation. They listen for whatever that they listen to, if they listen to pop or rock or whatever. Mm. But rap is something different. It's more of a groove, a a vibe, a flow, a rhythm. It's a beat. Yeah, the beat. um, And. I always hear people say like, "Oh, I listen to a lot of music," and in your case, it's vetted. Uh, not <laughs> not calling that into question, but you know, for me, I've re- I've really really branched out. I mean, recently I've added Mongolian throat singing. <laughs> I've added Indian Indian hardcore metal. I mean, it's and and the reason why is and it's it. This is funny. My kids like they used to like heavy metal and like really heavy stuff when they were mm-hmm. littler. And I always found that fascinating. Heather, <laughs> Heather said it was because like one time I had on, I think it was Megadeth or something. And I took a video because Tim is pa- He was so fussy. I put it on. He passes out right away and i was like wow look at that death. yeah i said the power of music <laughs> yeah that's odd well no because, so heather goes well yeah because it's all just a bunch of noise like white noise and i said "Oh, yeah. maybe you know there, there could be something there i but. might agree with heather on that one <laughs> megadeth wow well for for your son will he's more of a, a progressive rock guy right like dream theater mm-hmm. and no he he's
1: rather well versed in music as well he well, he had to be growing up with us. Right. But um, no, he, he, you know, he likes heavy metal as well. I mean, again, he'll listen to Megadeth. He, he turns me on some bands and I'm like, what the hell is that? And yeah, no, he he, he listens to a lot. Mike uh, Portnoy, the drummer, mm-hmm. one of, you know, he listens to all his many bands. And I was that, just going to say, he's, he's all over the place. Pretty, yeah, exactly. That covers a, a lot of different, I mean, you know, they... Had their Beatles band, they have their metal band, they have, the,
0: <laughs> yeah. So, with regards to heavy metal, we'll, we'll touch on the the origins there a bit in a minute, because I feel like if it's not your favorite band, one of our shared favorite bands at minimum could be considered sort of the 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 forerunners of of that genre. But mm-hmm. I guess to, the the two things I wanted to say about the the music portion of it is, you know, with the kids, they crack me up because they used to listen to Slipknot, all this stuff that's just <laughs> that to the un. Uninitiated sounds just like a bunch of barking, screaming noise and whatnot. Right. And this that Indian metal band that I referenced before, I, I found them out last year. They're called Bloodywood, and they sing in English, in Punjabi, and I think Hindi or something like that. And obviously, I don't understand, you know, what they're saying. And that was the complaint of the kids. I thought they would listen to the music and feel the energy, and they were like, "Well, we couldn't understand what they're saying." I'm like, "Well, you can't understand what's you know Corey Taylor's barking in Slipknot or or you know whatever." I'm like, "So what difference does it make what language it is if you can't understand?" It anyway, okay. but you you just made me think of something interesting. So, my last guess is from the field of nutrition. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we spoke about in our episodes was the struggles with introducing kids to new foods, right? And too many people say, Oh, I, you know, th- they won't eat broccoli, carrots, this or that. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, <laughs> I again, me. I'm blanking again. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm blanking again on the number. I feel like it was like 13 times or 11 times. She's going to kill me, but it was, it was like whatever number it was you need to expose kids to the same foods, either in different environments or just repeatedly before they can really form an opinion. And I feel like the same applies to music, like especially, again, using something like country, right? Where people write it off as whatever it is and they listen to, you know, two or three songs and that's it. But Mm -hmm. again, I've found that when you listen to something, there's something that, there's probably something that you like and something that you don't like. And then the more you... And expose yourself to other variations and differences. You kind of build a network in your in your brain, I guess, that helps you figure out. And, Makes perfect sense. And I never force this on anyone. I don't. You know, I'm a big like beer guy. Or whatever people ask me all the time, "Well, oh, what's the best beer out there?" And it, I heard this answer, and this is the only answer I give now. Whatever one you like best, if it's Coors Light and the Light. best
1: answer because again, there are so many different varieties, and and that is something that's grown exponentially. Like right? all the craft beers and. Yeah, you and Will would really have a good time discussing that sometime because he's into the beer thing. Oh, I
0: didn't. I didn't even realize that. I'm glad I brought it up yeah. then. No, like my <laughs> uncle, uh, my uncle Tony is a good example. He doesn't like. I think it's IPAs. He finds them to be too bitter. And there's two ways you approach that. My approach is then don't drink IPAs. Right, like that's, drink I'm, not, sure. I'm not going to force it. But there are some people who hear that and go, Oh no, no, listen, you got to try this, right? right? And they go, All that does is force that person even further into that position and with music it's kind of the same thing people don't want to be told that they're wrong right i mean your opinion is your opinion but my my attitude when it comes to music is the more exposure you get especially to things that you don't like the better it is and as i said before you know i was already at the piano when you were coming in Mm -hmm. i write a lot of my own music and that's also why i listen to so many different things because i might hear a rap song that has a great sample and i can turn that into or or maybe just a rhythm something something you know the more you expose yourself to the more it opens up to you, I, I, at least with music,
1: I agree. I mean, I believe that, that we're you know talking about different types of music. When I was growing up, there was rock and roll, and that was it. It was rock and roll. <laughs> I mean, of course, there's country and and you know there's always the orchestral music, but we didn't have heavy metal and speed metal and and all the others. It was just rock and roll music, and it's whether you know you're into it or not. I find it. You know, rather interesting how it's become so uh, so differentiated, if you will. You know, that, well, no, that's prog rock and that's heavy metal. And I always just thought it was music. I mean, and whether you like it or not,
0: that's up to you. Well, that's how I look at it. And it's funny, <clears throat> there's been a little bit of a pushback. Within the metal community, at least for all of these ridiculous sub 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 oh, genres, please, yeah, you've got death metal now, right? What's death metal? Or, or Norwegian death metal versus <laughs> yeah. Swedish death metal, and and to me that comes down to the psychology behind music, which is a whole separate topic, right? Where might be another whole show, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So people want to feel, and and this is, I mean, again, I promised my wife I wouldn't get on the soapbox in these episodes, so I won't. Again, just one foot on here people don't have enough meaningful things in their lives, right? They don't do enough things of value. And so they try to call together, I don't know, whether it's ego or just some sense of like purpose through these little seemingly meaningless things. And what I mean is by being a fan of this really obscure sub, 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 sub sub genre, now you feel (laughs) special, right? You feel different. You found cool. And I think that's really where it comes. And I, and I notice it more, in uh, the online community on, like, ultimateguitar.com. So okay. I've been a member of that site since 2004. I've posted enough, you know, tablatures mm-hmm. to whatever. But uh, that you see, uh, you know, in articles and in comments and stuff, you can see the folks who are genuine music fans by the way they speak. And then you can see ones who are maybe a little more insecure because they're putting down other bands. And, right. you know, that, that's been there, I would imagine, since the advent of music. Oh, absolutely. You know, the idea that there's this indie band, right? I mean, how many times has that happened? I'm sure it probably happened with Metallica too, where they're, you know, they're ours, this little community, this whatever, and mm-hmm. then they blow up and now they belong to everyone. But that's what frustrates me where those people are concerned is music is meant to belong to everyone, in my opinion. I
1: oh, no, I agree. And and it's, I think it's, a, there's an even more interesting pushback, I guess. Once Metallica got so big, then you had a lot of the people that were, Originally fans, they're like, oh, no, well, now they just sold out. Well, you know, that was their whole idea from the first, <laughs> from the get-go, is you want, you know, you're, you're in it. Of course, because I think in order to, you know, survive in the business, well, one, you have to love playing music, but two, yeah, you're, you're trying to make a
0: living. Well, that's just it. So. It's, it's a job, right? Unless you're yeah, living this is. like bohemian lifestyle and because even buskers are playing for money. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you, you can't do it. And to me, this has always been a point of contention for me, especially where Metallica is concerned. I have other bands who have changed their sound over the years. And part of it, I would say, is just longevity. I mean, if you've put out mm-hmm. three, four five albums, you've been around, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, there's an inevitability. You You would hope that there would be a change in sound. My my hope would be that it would be an evolution, a natural evolution. Right. And where Metallica is concerned specifically, it made sense for the new direction that they went in. Okay. It, it sounded authentic. Mm-hmm. Now, if they had tried to put out a bubblegum pop record that <laughs> felt forced and just sounded like it was cashing in, right. that's where you ascribe the sellout label. And there are other bands who have done that. There are bands who, it's such a seismic shift in their sound, it doesn't make sense. And that to me is the difference. If it makes sense, then it's part of their evolution. But if yeah. it doesn't, then, then, yeah, you can accuse them of selling oh, out.
1: Absolutely. I, now, my favorite band, you know, Led Zeppelin, I always made that very clear. I really thought that you could see the evolution of the band throughout their course of history. With each album, it's, they expanded their sounds, and, well, you know, like Led Zeppelin three was almost all acoustic, and people were like, whoa, what the hell? But... And as they went on, I mean, as they became more traveled, you saw the Eastern influence. Yeah, I mean, if they weren't growing, then they wouldn't have been the same band. I'm one of the people that, well, I've changed my mind on it, because originally I was very upset with Robert Plant that he wouldn't go back and play with Jimmy Page and, you know, do the whole Led Zeppelin redux. But he followed his own muse, and that, that's what's made him still remain the force that he is in music, because... He's doing what he likes,
0: <laughs> and, and all I'm saying is if I you, don't have to like it. <laughs> well, if, if you look at everything that he's done, right, especially mm-hmm. solo stuff, everything yeah. past Led Zeppelin, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, that happened after he had some drinks with you at a bar. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not giving you credit. I'm not. I'm just throwing it out there. Coincidence? I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here, here goes the next uh, half hour to 45 minutes because Led Zeppelin was exactly the band that I thought was your favorite for Always. me. Every every story has to have a beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And so, rock and rolls is fairly streamlined. I I couldn't pinpoint the exact moment, right? It's it's maybe <laughs> it's impossible too. But Absolutely. with with heavy metal, the fact that it arose in the seventies, I I feel like most people would argue that Black Sabbath was the first, you know, he, like legitimately heavy metal band. But for me, I kind of feel like Zeppelin had more. Maybe not heavy metal necessarily, but just yeah. metal to them, and it's it, not so much just about the music, right? Because Bonham was an absolute be, he was, monster on he, the drums. he, he yeah. I'm sure Animal from the Muppets, right, yeah. that was based on on him, without a doubt. Um, and so, you know, and, and there's a this in my mind. There's a distinct difference between Led Zeppelin and a band like the Who, right? Keith Moon's Ooh. another one who would de- oh, absolutely destroy, literally, yeah. literally and figuratively destroy it on the drum set. No. But the Who's sound, for me, the, I don't sense any metal elements. It's just, it was different. And then there are other bands, too, that fall into that category. I absolutely would agree. And oddly enough, there has
1: always been a bit of animosity between The Who and Led Zeppelin. Really? Oh, yeah. I wasn't aware of that. Oh, Pete Townsend, just, he thinks they're trash. <laughs> he he's said it on numerous occasions that he just felt like they that Led Zeppelin ripped The Who off. I mean, and The Who god bless them they were they are one of the originals they were together in like 1962 i mean they've been around forever almost as long as well they were there when you know just after the beatles and they're kind of funny it's just you know roger daltrey everyone thinks of him as just a singer but he's actually (laughs) roger daltrey's he's kind of a tough guy (laughs)
0: yeah. <laughs> and it's funny one of my all-time favorite you know my background with writing and being interested in horror mm-hmm. stuff yeah. and everything one sure. of my all-time favorite tales from the crypt television show episodes he uh, was the star in it yeah. so that's actually my first connection to him it's not through the who it's not through the music it was it's through that and so when tales i saw him the yeah a throwback so yeah. as far as the who and all those other bands go right uh, and this connects back to what we were saying earlier hmm. i feel like you can't separate the psychology from the music. There's a reason that people are drawn to certain types of music. And for me, I really think it goes I can't say that it started in the 50s, but my mindset is when rock and roll started to pick up, right? When radio and especially when when television really started to take off and we're dating ourselves here, you know (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. Quick quick (laughs) aside, I didn't get to tell you this. So this morning we're watching TV. And there's a commercial with Gabrielle Union, who's an actress, and yes. then Dwayne Wade. Mm-hmm. And she, I, she, I, I just recently found out that she's 50. She does not look 50. And this isn't just in, like, you know, commercials and whatnot. I mean, even in no. regular photos. She, she does not look 50. Right. No. She just has a youthful glow. <laughs> yes. And I said to Tim, I said, dude, I can't believe, we're watching it together. I said, dude, I cannot believe that she's 50 years old. And then I said, and Dwayne Wade too looks, and, and granted, it's a commercial, right? So clearly, you know, whatever. Uh,
1: airbrush and all the
0: other, yeah. Right, and so mm-hmm. I said to him, I was like, and even Dwayne Wade, he's older than me too. And Tim goes, and this is why he's now dropped to the bottom of the death chart on the, the favorite child list. He goes, uh, yeah, I mean, they look like they're in their 30s. And I, I felt it. I felt the disturbance in the force. Ooh, and I knew it was coming. I said, okay. And he's like, and you look, And then he stops. So I'm like, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I just turned 40. Maybe he thinks I'm sensitive about it. You know, I'm like, Tim, it's okay. Say it. No, 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 no. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Like, no, I'm a big boy. I could take it. I said, go ahead. If you won't say it, I'll say it. I was like, all right. Yes, they look like they're in their thirties and I look like I'm in my forties. And then there was that awkward beat of silence. And I said, you think I look like I'm in my fifties? And he, he turns beet red and goes, well, I didn't want to say it. So shout out to Tim for, and, and everybody wonders why I'm on this. Recent, really putting dad in his place. Yeah. All of a sudden, everyone's wondering why I'm on this recent, like nutrition and, and fitness kick. That's why I'm getting it at home from, uh, from the kids. From your teenager. But uh, in terms of, so, so in terms of um, teenagers, actually teenagers is where I wanted to go with this. So right. if you think back to the fifties, right? the The type of music that was acceptable was a little bit different. It, it, it was oh, almost no, it was a lot different.
1: Well, yeah, uh, it, 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 exactly. It was all right. Very milk toast. Yeah. You know.
0: One of my favorite words, by the way, glad you dropped that in there. <laughs> um, and so back then it was more about, you know, the, the singing voice, which is fine, yep. you know, and, and you had the crooners, you know, whether it was yep. Sinatra or, or any of the Rat Pack guys yep. and whatnot. However, then there was this slow shift, and I don't know if it can be ascribed to Elvis, which you actually just lent me a yes. phenomenal book, mm-hmm. which was, was it about Sam Phillips?
1: Yes. Sam Phillips, and he he is considered the fa- grandfather, if you will, of rock and roll, because he he discovered Elvis, no matter what anybody else tells you. He discovered him. Actually, more was the woman he worked with, but uh, yeah, you know.
0: Credit words do, yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, they... Just had him on a recording, and he, he he went in to record something for his mom. That's Elvis right. was a mama's boy; everybody knew that. And the rest is history. He worked with him and got him big, and then he had to sell his contract because he was so broke. And that's Elvis became Elvis once he got with Colonel Parker. Right, uh, and and I feel like oh, good. Just just to go back a bit with the age thing, it, and it's odd that you bring that up. You just turned forty. I had this conversation, oddly enough, with Miss Sarah, the one who knitted me the hat, because she had had a birthday. And I said, they're all just numbers. The only one that ever bothered me, and now you have to remember, I'm going to be 67 soon. So the only birthday that ever bothered me was my 30th birthday, because I'm from that era where we said, you can't trust anyone over 30. That's right. And once I turned 30, I was, like, so lost. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't listen to myself anymore. I don't know what I'm talking about. So I kind of worried on that for a little bit, but obviously I got over it.
0: I I think it matters. Like you said, age is just a number, right? And it's more how you feel inside. And I Mm -hmm. I think both of us have almost a childlike exuberance when it comes to life. And so I think that's that's something that drew me to you. And yeah. and I, I never mentioned this. I, I was telling a friend recently, but towards the end of that sixth grade year mm-hmm. with Tim, I realized I was like, huh, like, you know, you had become a part <laughs> of my daily routine, but I felt like, we had struck up a, a genuine friendship. And you. I think you mentioned, too, that you were going to be leaving that post. That's yes. what it was. And I yeah. knew that because my daughter is now at Cove Road. Right. And initially, I just said, oh, well, you know, we'll continue this. But you did tell me town. she
1: was taking the bus as well. And I, rea- so. <laughs> That's right. I realized
0: she was taking the bus. And I was like, I felt compelled to see if you'd be willing to take this to a different venue, right? And see if we could continue the friendship off uh, off there. And I'm not going to lie. I, I, again, I just told a friend about this recently. I was more nervous asking you <laughs> to exchange phone numbers than I was asking my wife if she wanted to be my, uh, my girlfriend. <laughs>
1: I, I, the funny thing is, is I felt the same way because, again, the older you get, it seems the less friends you have, unfortunately. And and it is, be, you know, you get busy with life. Life is life's hard. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I, I had the same thought and I'm like, damn, Matt's become part of my everyday existence here. And, and like, now we're not going to have this in common where we'll, you know, we'll be passing by each other every day. So, yeah, well, and that's thank God for, you know, technology because we've gone. Now, if this was 30 years ago, you know, we'd have been. It would have just been telephone, but now you got text and email and all that's yeah. So it made it a bit easier, but yeah, I, I I did want to continue the friendship, and yeah, well, here we are.
0: Yeah, no, and I, I was so appreciative of it, and that's the thing, right? One of the the was one of the <clears throat> attitudes I take with life is I, I try not to let my fears or concerns or, or anxieties hold me back. And yeah. if anything, if I am nervous about doing something, even just starting the podcast, as an example. I take that as an indication that I should do it. You know, like we're not talking about like that nervousness you feel, you know, standing untethered on like a bridge or something. <laughs>
1: right. No, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're not going to get hurt by doing this. You know, maybe pr- your pride, but that's about it.
0: <laughs> right. And, and it's funny in, in the house recently, my wife and I have been discussing friendships and things like that a lot lately. And one of the things that I noticed is and, and I felt this with you and I have a sense that it was the same kind of thing. I, I don't factor in age background race the, none of that stuff none of the qualifiers matter i am an energy sort of aura guy not in like a, a crazy new agey way right either it, yeah maybe a better way to put it is i either click with people or or i don't oh yeah and as
1: as we said it's age is a number so it doesn't matter that yeah i'm old enough to be your father <laughs> but
0: um, well not if i'm in my 50s <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you too yeah thanks Tim. Um, no it it uh yeah it i'm very glad that we have seen this through, and it's yeah, it's cool. And as far as the the kids thing, let's get that out there. I do. I love children. Like, being around them makes me feel younger, and like said, it was such a great experience being a Cove road But they, that age is. That's that's a tough age, <laughs> so I'm a lot happier being now with the kids at Lily, and they're they're younger. They listen better. <laughs> oh, uh, for sure.
0: I listen. I love coaching, and I know we're going to get back to Led Zeppelin eventually. Yeah. Uh, I I love coaching. That's life. I, I love coaching in general, but <laughs> I lucked out. Like I knew professionally when I was teaching, I wanted to be with high school students. I felt like <laughs> that was a very unsure time in my life, and mm-hmm. I think now. With that experience, I wanted to be able to give back to other kids. I wanted to make sure that none of these yeah. kids feel at seventeen or eighteen the way I felt, you know. Right. And oh. so, and then when it comes to coaching, it's the same kind of thing with the littlest ones. I want to make sure that these kids. I, I, Basketball is arguably my my biggest passion, <laughs> right? I mean, yes. you see, there's there's sure. stuff, paraphernalia all over the house, mm-hmm. and so I. Never want to force that passion on anyone, even my kids. They they came to it naturally. It wasn't something mm-hmm. – it, it, it was, if anything, by osmosis. Same thing with the <laughs> music. I didn't force it on them, but they were definitely exposed to it. And so with, with coaching the youngest kids, my goal is to make sure, A, that they enjoy the sport. And for me, a successful season – and, and they, they, believe me, this rankled plenty of parents. I don't care if we lose every game. I don't care – about any of that. My goal is a successful season for me at the end of it, especially with rec basketball, right. is when those kids want to come back and play another one. Not just for me, but they, they want to yeah. continue with Amen. the sport. That's it. And yeah. especially, and this is why I gravitate because I've recently just coached. I, I've been sporadically, you know, pitching in with my kids' AAU teams. Uh, and you know, obviously that's a completely different level and whatnot. And that no doubt that was a good experience for me self-confidence wise, mm-hmm. especially uh, shout out to a, a former guest, Sarah Dessner. So Sarah is one of the best coaches that I've ever met. And she is, she, she coaches girls teams primarily. I think she's right. had co-ed teams before. So mm-hmm. she is a great leader of women and that's the focus. And so the first time she asked me to fill in for her was like an unbelievably big <laughs> moment for me, not, not pressure wise, but just a sense of pride, right? Because there's an element of trust that comes into that oh. She she wouldn't just hand the reins over to, to anyone. And so mm-hmm. I've had a couple of opportunities thanks to her and then with my son Jackson's team. And I actually just got to coach solo for the first time recently. Anyway, (laughs) so going back to the difference with rec basketball is the pressure isn't there. Like, these teams that we're on, we're traveling to Atlantic City, to Boston, Mm -hmm. to Lancaster to compete, to win. And it is about winning then. Yes, of course. At
1: at that level, it has
0: to be. And so with rec basketball, it's, in my mind, even with the playoffs and stuff, it doesn't have to be. It's supposed to be fun. Right. And my goal... Every year was you can spot everybody can spot the kids who are not the most athletic, who (laughs) maybe would benefit from even more remedial training and all this kind of stuff. And so those were the kids that I kind of took under my wing. I wanted to make sure every kid there got a chance to score. And this was the thing. Again, some parents that are hyper fixated on the winning part of it, it would drive them nuts because with some of my teams, especially the older ones. We didn't have a point guard, and I, I did have. I didn't really get into it with a parent once, but I explained my mentality because he was like, "Oh, you know, I think we we'd be doing better if uh, if Tim brought the ball up every time, and and you know maybe you don't want to do it because he's your son." I said, "Buddy, the reason I'm not doing it, and the reason we don't have a point guard is because I have ten kids on this team, ten families worth of people, and they coming. all think they're point guards. Well, no, no, not <laughs> even that. You have ten groups of people who were here to see essentially one child, right, and." They're not there. Sure, it would be great if Tim brings it up and takes it coast to coast and scores every time. But I'm more concerned about them being able to take their cameras out and get their moment with their child and, you know, and that. But anyway, we've gone so far away from Led Zeppelin, <laughs> we, we, we have to go back. So <clears throat> going back to the, the decades thing and, and Elvis, that, that was the jumping right. off point, right? So Elvis, in my mind, sparked a cultural revolution. Because prior to that, I and, and I, neither of us were there, nice. for what it's worth, pair of old men that we are, uh, <laughs> you know, you you look back, especially going back to, to prohibition, there's always been this, I don't know, puritanical approach to things. Puritanical propriety is is the way I would put it, okay. with American culture and stuff. It was very focused on just behaving a certain way, conducting yourself in a certain manner and, and whatnot. And you know, that that works, it's great, there's something to be said for that, but people are, you always say it all the time, peoples are peoples. Indeed. And people have their That's own. from
1: The Muppets Take Manhattan, one of our favorite movies of all time. One of the best movies of all time. <laughs> that I watched about maybe 6,000 times because of my kids.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I, I, listen, there's worse things to be watching oh, 6,000 times.
1: But And another fact, uh, Elvis, to those who are so much younger, he got in a lot of trouble... Just because he shook his hips. Can you imagine that today?
0: (laughs) Well, right. Exactly. And that that was my point, right? He sexualized music. Absolutely. It it was sensationalized. And again, that that coincided perfectly with the advent of television, because I'm sure that if he was doing those things not on television, and wasn't there like a broadcast, a specific show or something that he went yes, on? Yes, it was on Ed Sullivan. It was Sullivan, yeah. right, okay. Ed right. Sullivan, yeah. I wanted to say Carson, but I knew it was before yeah. that.
1: No, no, yeah. Primetime TV, it was like 8 o'clock in the evening, and he had the audacity to be shaking his hips in front of, you know, a bunch of... Screaming women.
0: <laughs> right. And and listen, I realize I'm painting with a broad brush here, right? I'm sort of whitewashing the discussion in terms of, like, the culture. I'm going with, like, the predominant. But
1: it did revolutionize music. It, I mean, as you said, it sexualized it. And, yeah, it, it really opened it up. And as you can tell, as... You know what happened afterwards,
0: right? And for me, there's a straight line from Elvis to Led Zeppelin. But more importantly, I've referenced a few times now the psychology of music, why yeah. people choose what they do, and I wonder if that was really the first time where there was a sense of rebellion in terms of the music that's being listened to. I'm sure it's not, but that's the most obvious one, right? And then with the Beatles, that's
1: the one that sticks out. And and just a little aside on that as well. Led Zeppelin, you know Robert Plant, and Jimmy Page were both big fans of Elvis. Robert Plant has said it was one of like the highlights of his life that he got to meet him. You know, oh. he, he thought it was so cool. But, you know, of course, that was old Elvis. And...
0: Well, yeah, not, not a banana, peanut butter, honey, or whatever, chocolate spread sandwich Elvis. Exactly, yeah. So to, to get to Led Zeppelin then, right? So there, again, there's a straight line from... Elvis, to the Beatles, to these other bands, even the Beach Boys, to to an yeah. extent, they were more milk toast if you want to do more innocuous, I think, less threatening for the culture because the, the sound was different. At the beginning, yes, but they actually had a very big
1: rivalry with the Beatles. Which I learned about from you. Yeah, yeah I had no they, idea. They, they were actually tossing ideas back and forth across the ocean there. I mean, because they, they were friendly competitors. How's that?
0: Right, but you in know? terms of the, I'm thinking more of like, the Shea Stadium concert for the Beatles right Mm -hmm. and like those women who were absolutely losing I mean they were having out of body experiences
1: (laughs) they were losing their drugs and and throwing them on stage (laughs) right
0: I don't know that's ever happened at a Beach Boys concert but maybe Uh, it has I think it may have I
1: I don't know I'm, I'm, you know again I was rather young for the Beach Boys too but right (laughs) and
0: and so we get finally to, to Led Zeppelin right so to me Zeppelin is the quintessential rock band start to finish they check every box from now the only caveat that I have there is that in recent years I've learned more about sort of the sourcing of some of their either musical idea dea, dears oh boy yeah. musical ideas uh, sounded whether, like
1: Robert Plant he used to put an R on a lot of that he? yeah oh absolutely
0: and, and uh, whether it's the music or the lyrics the lyric lyrically was the they word did that steal comes a lot there. of their music and, there's and, no question
1: and you know, from you know a lot of the old blues artists
0: and yeah. it's completely inexcusable this is not meant to be a defense of it but. Recently, especially with was it Taurus with the uh, the soul oh, oh, spirit?
1: Sh- oh, geez, yes. Right? With the, the yeah, whole yeah, uh, the stairway uh, to heaven. Yeah, right. please.
0: Now, <laughs> I'm not saying this doesn't justify it, but at the time, this wasn't a Led Zeppelin exclusive behavior. It was happening everywhere.
1: No, absolutely. And
0: whatever you want to say about it, the the white imperialist aspect and all that. Yes, it, it was definitely people were being taken advantage of musically. Uh, especially with the contracts. I mean, you know, I've read some of that, like people signing rights away that they didn't understand what was in the contract and everything, but that's, they did that to a lot of artists. Right. And that's a whole, and it
1: wasn't even a race thing. It was, it didn't matter who you were. Yeah. The, uh, businessmen, that side of it, they just, yeah, got these dummies to sign away their, you know, all their rights and they got rich, and the musicians stayed poor.
0: Right, which is yeah. kind of funny when you look at where we're at now yeah. with streaming and, and yeah. you know.
1: And, and as far as the music goes, too, it's good correlation. Every good comedian knows a good joke when he steals it. So, and that's what they were doing. They were stealing their music. And everybody borrows from everybody else. Uh, that actually became really big when you they got into the sampling and when was that? The 90s or the 1000s? Yeah, the, the early 90s. Yeah, yeah late 80s, yeah. early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. With I mean, it.
0: And so a perfect, I think the watershed moment, if if you will, with that was the Run-DMC and Aerosmith collaboration yes. for Walk oh, This Way. Oh, God, yeah. Well, and which it, was great.
1: It, it gave Aerosmith their career back. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, right. And the way I look at it is, and I've looked at it specifically with Zeppelin, is back in the day... Every band worth their salt had a distinct sound. You could hear a chord and know that's Jimmy Page. That's, that's a Zeppelin song, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't just them. It was The Police. It was The and Who, The, the Beatles. Who, yeah. Oh,
1: absolutely. All the Rolling Stones, sure. all of them, right? And yeah. so
0: that's kind of my point where, you know, the, the big debate recently with Ed Sheeran and the Marvin Gaye song mm-hmm. is, you know, can you <laughs> copyright... Chord progressions. Can you copyright, not melodies, but just different aspects of the songs? And I don't think you can because the individual aspect.
1: There are but eight notes. (laughs) Right. So at some point you are going to be copying
0: somebody because there are only eight yeah. Right, exactly, and you know <laughs> when you look at Van- the, the most blatant, obvious example I can think of is Vanilla Ice with the song "Under Pressure" and his song "Ice Ice Baby." He literally added, I believe it was an extra sixteenth note. That was it. <laughs> he he flat out completely took the line from the the Queen song. Right? He didn't change it. He didn't make it his own. And that's kind of the point where Zeppelin is concerned, <laughs> right? And and again, it's a, a roundabout defense of their music. But I feel like the changes they made, whatever they did they made it their own without a doubt
1: without a doubt I, I i think now and again in my opinion where they changed the business the most was that they made it and it's because of their mat- manager peter grant they made it pro musician he demanded that they get certain percentages of the box at any show and for their records he's the reason like they should <laughs> they should be thanking his grandchildren <laughs> for that Peter Grant was who he was because he made them the stars that they became or, or the wealthy people that they became so
0: and th- this might be a, a little controversial here th- this take right elvis could, could be argued as as the best—I don't want to say frontman because it wasn't a band, right? <laughs> but the best presence on stage from that decade and forward. Not even a question. I, th- I think really? some people might argue following him might be somebody like Mick Jagger. But for me, mm. Mick Jagger, a- again, just in terms of his <laughs> presence, it doesn't do it for me. What, right. For me, the second best, the the best—the single best rock frontman of all time is Robert Plant. He commanded that stage. Was it the song that remains the same? Song remains the same? The concert from Mm -hmm. Madison Square Garden? Yep. If you watch that, he just oozes musical sexuality. And it
1: wasn't just that. Having seen them a number of times, it was almost as if he would have a running commentary with the crowd in between songs. I mean, he was, or he still is, a presence back in the 70s. He had that aura of sexuality. And personality as well, which now it's more personality, but <laughs> yeah. he is in his 70s. Well, but was, no, he's he, yeah, he, I, I agree with you in that. Um, and again, I am biased, I freely admit it because they were the best band that ever was, in
0: my opinion. Was, um, wasn't Presence one of the later albums or am yes, I making that up? Okay, yeah,
1: indeed, it was,
0: yeah. That, that's what I thought. Well, so, and I want to speak specifically about the albums themselves, yeah. but. The thing that always (laughs) struck me about Zeppelin, and I never got to see them live in concert, but I've seen footage and whatnot, is that was the first group. and, And this is, remember we spoke about The Who earlier. And The Who... And Led Zeppelin, are the two bands where I really think of the performance, individual performances, not musical performances, right. just the stage presence and mm-hmm. what these people look like on stage. So Townsend with the big windmill, you know, guitar. swinging guitar strikes and Daltrey with, with, you know. With the swing in the microphone. Sw- and, exactly. And, and he
1: came in a close second to me as far as, you know, behind Robert Plant.
0: Oh, yeah. No, so he.
1: Daltrey is just. He's amazing. And, I, I tip my cap to him as well.
0: Yeah, he has that same energy. That's mm-hmm. it's just again to, to go back. Mm-hmm. And he loves, he loves
1: performing. He does.
0: Yeah, and you can yeah. see it. They have. I mean, mm-hmm. listen. They have their rock songs. You know, mm-hmm. their, their rock anthems. They have the slower stuff. Behind Blue Eyes, yeah. uh, I love. I think that's a great song. Mm-hmm. Eminence Front has such a great. That is one of
1: my favorite good. Who songs, oh, and so- it, I don't feel like it ever got the credit it deserved it just had this awesome beat and yeah no eminence front is that's that's
0: the bomb to to butcher a quote (laughs) uh, a paraphrase from grand theft auto san andreas uh (laughs) the dj says that townsend doesn't always step up to the mic but whenever he does you know he's going to slay it and that's what happened there with uh with that song it was just yeah. it was incredible but yeah. and and obviously they have their I, i'd be curious okay so i feel like there are certain apex songs for bands right so to use queen as an example mm-hmm. bohemian rhapsody is right their apex song mm-hmm. and then you can argue that there are certain albums that are the band's you know the premiere like without that's a it. doubt yes now for the who you know you've got Quadrophenia, Tommy, the the rock opera, and all that. So yeah. you know, th- there's different ones that are famous. Yeah. I always felt, and this was just for me personally, that Led Zeppelin IV was great. But when I've spoken to people like my brother mm-hmm. George, who is far more knowledgeable than I'll ever be with music, for him, he says the you know the the definitive Led Zeppelin album was Physical Graffiti, without a doubt. See, and so yeah. <laughs> I think so. I need I, I, I well because they showcase
1: so many different varieties of sound that they were capable of making i think and, well, and again it was a double album so that made it a bit easier you had more songs but yeah they just showed that they could play so many
0: you know different types I guess. Was it Physical Graffiti 1 and 2 as a double album, or was it Physical Graffiti 1? No, one? It, was one
1: al- it was released as a double album. Okay. And is there a
0: Physical Graffiti 2? No. Or am I making that? No. Up? no okay, so yeah. it's just... Yeah, it's just Physical okay. Graffiti. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm an idiot. It's So on my computer, I have a, a, a... Right, you have... An extensive digital collection. Second, yes. Right, so it's, yes. it's 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 CD 1 and CD 2, or, yes. or record 1, record 2, yeah. um, either way. Yeah. So one of the things that I love about music in general is the feeling again, I, man, I, I told Heather, my ovaries have swollen to, you know, thrice their size lately. Uh, that's what happens when you turn 40 folks, but uh, I connect with people with music or whatever on these, these vibes and feelings. And then I love when there's extra levels to it. So there's a mm-hmm. singer songwriter named Jason Mraz who had a couple big songs on the radio, the remedy and, and I'm yours and all that. Okay. And those are great, but his best stuff, the stuff that I really love. Nobody's heard of. No. And, and <laughs> exactly. that, the shame of it is, in yeah. my opinion, it's the yeah. best. But the metaphors, the wordplay, there's substance to it. And mm-hmm. that's th- the foot's going back on the soapbox. Yeah. Nowadays, societally speaking, you know, you look at TikTok, you look at a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. There's no substance, in my opinion, in terms of what's there. It's just these quick little, you know, hits. And it's the same thing with music. It's why I'm not a big right. pop music fan. It's there's It's overly simplistic, right? There's yeah. nothing to sink your teeth into. And I don't think you've ever heard the song. I may have sent it to you once, but my all-time favorite set of lyrics is from a band called Incubus and a song called 11 a.m. And the song goes through a day in the life of a person in the midst of a breakup. I don't remember if it's explicitly stated, right? But it starts off like 7 a.m., the garbage truck beeps as it backs up, and I start my day thinking about what I've thrown away. So I love... The visual, the all, right. all of that kind of stuff, and when you get to Led Zeppelin their lyrics, ah, there's so much stuff that they pull from, so many sources, right? They were, was it uh, Plant who was the Tolkien fan? Or yes,
1: Plant was definitely a fan of J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes, without it, I mean, so, uh, and a lot of it really was just nonsense, and he he'll tell you that, but it's where he was at at the time. So, so we were we just went through this exercise recently. Come on. what what's the a bustle in your hedgerow. I mean, really? You have to be English to understand that. Well, right.
0: So, but that's what I mean is when, oh, I, now I can't think of the exact quote, but essentially it's whether you're a writer, right? And this this is hands down why I don't look at reviews or anything good or bad. Once you put something out into the world, creatively speaking, mm-hmm. it's no longer yours. Right. Whatever meaning you intended doesn't matter because Because everybody interprets it. Absolutely. It means something to everyone. And in terms of the music, that's what I mean. Like he can sit there and say it was nonsense. But if people connect to it, if they derive their own meaning from it. Of course. And they were playing. I I actually plan to do an episode about this topic specifically is songs that had very specific initial motivations or meanings mm-hmm. for the person that wrote them that are drastically different from the general consensus. And mm-hmm. so one of them was from a band called Stone Sour. The song's called Through Glass. And Corey Taylor wrote it about fame and, and I think the music industry specifically, but just kind of feeling like you're trapped <laughs> on the inside of the TV, right? Yeah. Most people interpreted that really as a love song. I, and the number, it, it, it drives them nuts to this yeah. day. That people have it as like a wedding song or whatever. But again, you can't control how people feel about no, it. No, of course. And Actually,
1: Ben, we haven't mentioned yet, and I know you wanted to get to them. Pink Floyd. Listen to some of the lyrics to their songs about the music industry. You know, by the way, which one's Pink? You know, the executives don't know who to, who they're talking to. But yeah. Um, and there's an, going back to Robert Plant. Um, listen to the lyrics to 10 Years Gone if you want to talk about a guy who just kind of blew up his life. Or Yeah, I mean, lyrics, again, as you said, it, it just once you put it out there, it's what it means to an individual. You don't know how they're going to take it. And going back even further now, talk about individual songs and albums. The Eagles, when they put out Hotel California, it ruined them because I think they realized they could never never top that and they did put out an album after that but called the long run and and that's what they did they went for a long run because uh they just they couldn't do something better and i think that happens with a lot of bands where they'll get to their apex as if you will and that's it you know like what's the point of doing anything else we
0: can't be better So I've recently been considering adding a video component to this (laughs) podcast and I'm so regretting that I didn't do it for this one because I wish everybody could have seen the look on my face when you mentioned the Eagles because that that's that mind meld that we have Mm because I was just thinking about them. The Eagles, it's so funny to me to see how loathed they are in some, you know, in some ways like and, and for me. I think I, I've told you this story probably several times, but Heather and I went in 2008 to see them at the Garden, and the smarminess <laughs> that came out of Glenn. I, now Don Henley, I knew had an ego. That was, oh. you know, that, that goes with it, and right.
1: that That's, his ego is like world famous. Yeah.
0: Again, whole separate episode on drummers who are the lead vocalists yeah. and the egos that go with that. That's a whole because <laughs> think Hello, about Phil it. Collins. <laughs> That's exactly who I was. Yep, I was thinking of Genesis, right? And the funny thing is with that too, like. I think of the drummers as the most unhinged ones, right?
1: And a lot of bands. Yeah. Well, right. John Bonham.
0: Yeah, exactly. Moon. And then yeah. you have the lead singers, the frontmen or front women who right. are arguably like the egos. And so then when you have the yeah. drummer being the singer, it's of course, it's a, a recipe for chaos. But as far yeah. as the Eagles go <laughs> specifically, they're one of my favorite bands because of again, that complexity, right? So, for my generation, the boy band era was the big thing in music. Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, 98 Degrees, and then all the other ones. O-Town, yeah. BB Mac, Westlife. I mean, there was so, I mean, so, so many. you I two never minutes, got that. Which was great. But what's funny is I liked NSYNC. I liked, you know, yeah. the songs on the radio from 98 Degrees. But the Backstreet Boys was the group that I actually, like, I would just throw their stuff on amid, you know, listening to all this other stuff. And sure. the reason why was... Now, in retrospect, the complexity of the vocal harmonies. And that's really what I think attracted me to the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac, which I'll get to them okay. in a second. It's just the musicality of it's there. And you look at some of the songs, well, again, sometimes meaning th- there's not a lot of wiggle room, right? So if you're standing on a corner, Winslow, Arizona, you know, like...
1: that's <laughs> And it's such a fine sight to see, right. yeah. It, it, it
0: paints a certain picture, right? Yeah, absolutely. They yeah. have something mystical happening with Hotel California and I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever looked into this at all, but apparently do you know what colitas is because
1: no and I've always wondered <laughs> the warm smell of colitas I just assumed they were talking about pot at the time but you know.
0: I think that's the the closest consensus because mm-hmm. the the term had no real meaning to it <laughs> but i can't imagine that it was a throwaway word especially with how particular um, you know yes. th- they are yeah. or they were mm-hmm. and so you know the eagles again desperados obviously uh, is arguably their most well-known song uh, yeah. outside of hotel california right. but the, it's funny how and i am tying this back to zeppelin too not the album the band yeah um <laughs> you have Hotel California, which again is the peak in the apex. Now, mm-hmm. uh, personally, I still like a lot of the stuff that they released afterwards, individual songs or little pockets here and right. there. I even thought The Long Road Out of Eden was really good. Waiting in the Weeds, No More Cloudy okay. Days. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just some really, really great music. And and watching, is it Glenn Fry or Frey? I always do that.
1: Uh, you know what? either works because I'm not sure how he pronounced I think it's Glenn Frey but Okay yeah that's so I'm going to go again
0: no. So with Glenn Frey after he passed they brought his son on and he sang that he sang a couple of different songs yes. but that one that, uh, that 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 hit the feels again again
1: you know yeah yeah no, no yeah the ovaries. yeah, yeah I got it <laughs> Yeah.
0: So but in terms of Fleetwood Mac that they're they were an interesting story in I don't know, I'm sure real music fans know that there were really two Fleetwood Macs. There was the pre-Lindsey Buckingham Mm -hmm. and Stevie Nicks Fleetwood Mac, which they were
1: more of a blues band. Like, come on, Steve Green (laughs) was the original guitarist, I believe. And he was definitely, he's really looked upon as one of your premier blues players. But yeah, they they had some evolution. Well... The Eagles actually had quite an evolution because they were really just like country rock and then with Hotel California no now they're just rock and roll. But all bands do that I think to a degree.
0: And I didn't realize until recently that Glenn and arguably like one of my all-time favorite guys Bob Seger absolutely were roommates I think like they were both from Detroit they they <laughs> had they worked on songs together it was, it, I right. couldn't think of two people further apart <laughs> on the social spectrum than Glenn Fry and, and, you know, and Bob, yeah, Bob Seger. Seeger, yeah. uh, turn the Page is yeah. just— Bob was
1: so underrated as a musician, I felt, because he had so many great songs.
0: Oh, he— Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Against, against the Wind is— oh, Yes. The, the, you know what it is? For me— That's a, like an anthem. Because uh, it really we is. all are running and against the wind. I'm sorry that we're bouncing all over the place here, but I also don't <laughs> care. So sorry, not sorry. But the, that's what music is about though. <laughs> there are two two groups or two there's bands involved here, but I'm gonna go just with the frontmen. Obviously, I was born in the eighties, I grew up in the late 80s mm-hmm. and early nineties. So I missed the 50s, 60s, and 70s. The the peak Americana, if you will, right? So I experience it vicariously through the spirit of of the music, which sounded really weirdly like a Hallmark card of there. But uh, I look at Bob Seeger and songs like Against the Wind, Night Moves. Okay. I'm mm-hmm. taken back to these sweaty summer nights in, you know, as a teenager in the yeah. 50s or the 60s. Right. And the 70s. And I got to lift them. <laughs> right. And so, you, so you can c- confirm or deny it too. The, o- the other guy that hits those same chords eh, for me yeah, is Tom Petty. Tom Oh, absolutely, yes.
1: And again, someone that I don't think got his due when he was younger. Uh, He was much more appreciated as he grew older, but no, he was there right from the get-go, and he was doing it, but...
0: And and listen, you could argue as to which album was the best for the Heartbreakers. You know, a lot of people like Wildflowers. There's Mm -hmm. all different ones. But his later stuff, and this is the funny thing, too. He is a guy that never lost the juice. And I know you're not as familiar with, with, you know, these groups and stuff, but I know you know who Dave Grohl is. Oh, absolutely. And to me, he is the next guy up. In that sense. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the recent Foo Fighters music specifically, but just right. in terms of the aura and mm-hmm. the energy and stuff. And Petty, yeah. he had us a song, It's Good to Be King, yeah. from later. I think, it, I think it was from uh after they released their Greatest Hits album. I, yeah. I think of that album as sort of like the midway point, right? Because all of the best stuff arguably came before that, but there was still good stuff to come after. Sure. I'm pretty sure that was an yeah. after song.
1: As with Dave Grohl, what I appreciate about him is he seems to... Have an appreciation of the music that came before him. And that shows you that he's, you know, he he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's talking about. And yeah, you can see that he is deeply involved. Going back again, here we go, with the bands and the harmonies. You really need to listen to a lot more Beach Boys, and even Beatles for that matter, because you want to talk about harmonies, but oh, the yeah. Beach Boys, oh my goodness,
0: yeah. My all-time favorite Beatles song is Eleanor Rigby, yes, and that they... initial segment yeah. with with the vocal harmonies is great. The point, just to put an end cap on it, that I wanted to make with having a Hotel California level album, and mm-hmm. then following it with... Something (laughs) less was fascinating to me with Fleetwood Mac, and we were talking about Fleetwood Mac and the fact that there is essentially two different bands, (laughs) different sounds. Let's jump off of that in a minute to get back to Pink Floyd because there's the Sid Barrett era and then everyone else. What I found interesting is, and and I love the fact I know I've said this a thousand times, and I'm sorry if anybody's listening and you're rolling your eyes, I get it, it's (laughs) fine. But the fact that Sarah's favorite band, my daughter Sarah, Mm -hmm. is Fleetwood Mac is just the coolest thing to me because that they've there's just something that I connect with with that band, too. And mm-hmm. and it works with her. So obviously, their number one, you know, all-time great album is Rumors. Right. And they were a mess. They've always been a mess, especially Stevie Nicks and especially Lindsey Buckingham. <laughs> and what I find so fascinating, just from a musical history standpoint, is they were under immense pressure. Uh, and a cloud of cocaine, which is neither here nor there, uh, like a perpetual cloud of coke. <laughs> Without a doubt. To, to, to follow up rumors with another rumors. And they self-sabotaged, intentionally self-sabotaged by recording Tusk. Right. They wanted to go, they wanted to make the most dissonant, unradio friendly <laughs> thing ever. And I, I, this is this tickles me to no end. The title track, Tusk. Are you aware of where the name comes from? No. So th- this is this is the uh, not safe for work portion here. <laughs> Apparently, and you're familiar with the drummer. I, I assume. Yes. Nick Fleetwood. Oh yeah. Mick Fleetwood. Who? Yeah. H- Was there at the beginning? <laughs> would you say he's he's, he's a large fellow, big guy? Yes. Six, 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 yeah. seven. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, Tusk is the nickname for his penis. <laughs> Somehow that doesn't really surprise me. And but, well, yeah, when you listen to the song, it, it <laughs> the just stories that penis could tell. It hits different. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I can only imagine. And so you know, it was interesting because they were never really the same after that. And and obviously they had great songs that came later, "Little Lies" mm-hmm. and right. you know, Sarah mm-hmm. biased on that one clearly,
1: right? Yeah. But and maybe there's a correlation as to why your daughter likes that band, Sarah, and uh, and yeah. a lot of female driven vocals. So I, I think better. so. And
0: it's. Tragically funny because my wife cannot stand Stevie Nicks' voice, (laughs) and Sarah loves it, and I love it. So you know, it's it's one of those like we agree to disagree things. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm in Heather's court here.
1: Yeah, hey, listen. I'm not a big fan of Fleetwood Mac, but I mean, I again, I can not like a band and still admire their work. I mean, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, and I mean, you you may not even admire it. It's even acknowledgement of it, right? The fact that
1: That, I know that they're they are good. You know. they're certainly they found you know like i'm not a big bruce bingstein fan but i certainly know greatness when i see it
0: right it, you it, know you don't
1: have a 50 year career and just be a bum
0: right you know? it's and whether it's you know from a culinary perspective i can respect that a chef makes phenomenal food it just may not click with my palate and there there you go there's a sonic palate hey, sorry Great no. analogy yeah <laughs> oh right uh, oh so <laughs> the funny thing was when i took her to see fleetwood mac the bummer for me was that Lindsey Buckingham had just been ousted for however for, many times. But <laughs> for it the
1: wo- 93rd time, yeah. Sel- selfishly,
0: it wound up being the best thing for me personally because—and mm-hmm. this speaks—listen, again, you want to talk egos. Lindsey Buckingham is on the Mount Rushmore with uh, you know Don Henley and some of the, these other guys. <laughs> yes. But the difference is he is arguably— for me at least, the best finger-picking guitarist of all time. You've got Chet Atkins, you've mm-hmm. got a lot of these other guys, but right. the reason why, and I don't want to nerd out here for people, right? <laughs> but in Rhiannon, which again mm-hmm. comes back to the, the vocal harmonizing, the yep. melodies and stuff, mm-hmm. everybody knows that intro riff, right? The ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, that thing. And almost everybody who plays it, plays it wrong. They play it with straight eight on the thumb. And it's actually a much more intricate Picking pattern and that's one of the simpler ones and you talk about big love like it's i'm still learning this song and i've been trying for you know six or seven (laughs) years and this guy's playing it singing it moving around it's it's a whole different level but losing him oh and so this is what what i was getting at in terms of the ego part it literally took two men to fill his shoes on that stage i think it was neil sean from um uh, yeah he's from journey i'm trying to think of what his name was it took the lead singer from Crowded House, okay, whose name and, I'm blanking mm-hmm. on, yeah. and Mike Campbell from the, the Heartbreakers. Right. And this wasn't long after Tom passed away. And so for me, it was a weirdly cathartic thing to see him on stage with Stevie knowing that history, right? Because he right. said the, the Heartbreakers, Tom mm-hmm. Petty said the Heartbreakers are an all-boy band, but she's as close as, as a woman will ever get to being... One yeah, of them. She oh, was an honorary
1: absolutely. Yeah, she was definitely an honorary heartbreaker. Yeah. And
0: whether it's Stop Dragging My Heart Around or other mm-hmm. you know, collaborations yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. But the <laughs> emotions of seeing them on stage together and then performing, I forget which petty songs they did. Right. But they did, I think, two of them. It was, it was just a really cool experience for me to have. And even if Sarah didn't appreciate it experientially Obviously on the she, same level. Right. But it was just a cool, cool, possibly, cool thing to have. Yeah. Right. Neil Finn. There we go. I knew Neil Sean wasn't right. He was right, from Neil the guitars. Yeah, so Neil okay. Finn oh. from the band Crowd of the House was the one who filled in vocally. And, okay. and so my all time, again, not to get distracted here. Again, this, We're having these senior moments, or at least I am. <laughs> uh, of, and I'm the senior. Uh, of getting distracted. <laughs> so I, again, connect music to different things and whatnot, right? So we talked earlier briefly about um, Bob Seger. And so the song Turn the Page I mentioned <clears> specifically because... I must have listened to that song a thousand times between 2007 and 2010. And the reason why was when I write, I need to have music. Typically, I try to avoid songs with lyrics because that can be distracting. But what I was trying to paint, (laughs) I was writing the follow-up to The Lion in the Desert. And in The Walking Ghosts, it's a Mm post-apocalyptic book that has a lot of ground to cover. It's essentially a cross-country road trip. Right. In the worst of circumstances. And for some reason, <laughs> I just connected with Turn the Page. And it was, when I hear it, it's just this sense of despondency of of being tired, of being beaten down. And I know for him, obviously, the meaning is more culturally significant mm-hmm. because of, you know, yeah. just that What that was going there. on in the
1: country at the of time, course. sure.
0: But for yeah. me, it just painted a sonic picture. And I don't think I, I have synesthesia, if you've ever heard of that. But synesthesia. I have heard
1: of it, but I can't recall.
0: So synesthesia is essentially <laughs> the manifestation of smells and sights and and things like that when you hear music. So it's kind of like a crossover of senses. You hear something mm-hmm. and then you taste or right. smell something. I've always had this since I was a kid with colors for some reason. There's certain songs that just appear in my head as colors or or other things like that. And so for turn the page, it, it just had that like dark sort of vibe to it, which was <laughs> which was great and it worked for me, but. To, to go back to Pink Floyd, which is another of my all-time favorite bands. See, I know Tim's got a Dark Side of the Moon shirt. That album turn, <laughs> turns 50 or turned 50. I don't remember when I, it was released, but it's... It is 50.
1: I know that. I, I, I think it might have been earlier this year. That's, right. But so yeah. it's
0: at some point... Mm-hmm. And you again, same thing, right? You can argue that the Wall is a better album, and you have people who don't think anything post Sid Barrett was, uh, you know, up to snuff. But for me, that's my go-to. Having favorite.
1: been a fan both before and after, I I think they got better. I mean, Sid Barrett was <laughs> until he lost his mind. He he was a genius, and I I happened to be fortunate to go see the Wall tour which they only did six shows in New York and six in L.A.
0: And just to confirm for listeners, that's The Wall, the album from Pink Floyd, and not The Berlin Wall. Yeah, <laughs>
1: No, I missed that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, The Wall, I was never a really over-the-top fan of that album. So Dark Side of the Moon and Animals, they were by far better albums to me. But uh, they were just, they were an interesting band to go see.
0: And... Again, those are albums that you could argue are far better. But again, I, I guess maybe what I was getting at was the vibe, the, mm-hmm. the collection, the connection. Yeah. And Dark Side of the Moon, from start to finish, doesn't have the best songs they've ever written. Doesn't They no. clearly don't have the best songs ever written. But as a concept. And, and not even just... <laughs> right, as a concept, but also in the execution of it. Because there yeah. are plenty of great concept albums. Mm-hmm. The record... I'm, I still am in awe of the fact that in, in the early 1970s these guys were able to do in an analog sense yes. what would be difficult even now for people mm-hmm. digitally the, the song time for example yes. right the song money those two are the ones that that stand yep. out because if you, yeah, the,
1: you can't even imagine what they had to do in the studio to make them sounds.
0: And to get yeah. it on pitch in mm-hmm. time, whether it's the clocks or the, the cash register, it's no. just...
1: And then when, when they performed them live, think of how mind-numbingly
0: difficult that had yeah, to be as well. I, I do wonder though for <laughs> that, I, I I my guess is for that... There had to have been some sort of recording, oh, yeah, which some, is
1: some some tracking going on. Which definitely, yeah, had to. Yeah, it's yeah. it's
0: a big debate now in terms of live music with mm-hmm. rock bands and stuff because so much music is recorded digitally. And when I say recorded, I don't mm-hmm. mean played into a, a you know a computer and recorded. I mean right. literally programmed. Right. When, I, as a matter of fact, when I recorded the theme song, when I wrote and recorded the theme song for this podcast, <laughs> the only instrument that I actually played was the piano, but it was on the iPad. It wasn't even my piano. Like it was, <laughs> I, I, and I if I really wanted to, I could have just programmed in the notes, which it felt so inauthentic to me. And it, again, that's a separate time. Have you ever come back to do another one of these? We can talk about the direction of, of AI <laughs> yeah. and, and Robert, all that.
1: Robert Plant even joked about that in the, about doing his first solo albums in the 80s, how the drum kit recordings started becoming prevalent in music. So that he didn't even need a drummer, right? Dr- he and still and it, had everyone else, but you know, that was all.
0: And I can't. Again, I I know this is a tangent we're jumping off on, but again, I can't imagine as we are wont to do. And, and hey, this is real life, folks. This is this is how it goes. At least we're not at McDonald's getting stared at by. Uh,
1: as I always say, stream
0: of consciousness. That, that's right. And so you know, in terms of. Drumming specifically, like, I derive so much of my experience, and and again, this is really more from higher energy rock mm-hmm. stuff. I can, I'm sure if I'm listening to, you know, whatever, a software, a Billy Joel concert or whatever, <laughs> or, you know, it, it doesn't matter as much. But It's not I'm, about the drums. Right, yeah. when I'm there, like, I, just watching the physical, it's such a, a primal instrument to play. It's It's mm-hmm. percussion, it's
1: energy, it's all this. Especially with some drummers that aren't here anymore, the way they
0: used to play. Oh. To watch them go at them kits. Yeah. Not being a drummer myself. Right. I don't gravitate as much towards them in terms of, like, the idealization, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, obviously, yeah. I like Keith Moon. Bonham's probably one of my favorites. I would say Stuart Copeland is mm-hmm. probably, if I had to pick one favorite drummer from, you know, before the 90s, I would probably go with him because right. of the energy. He, he always felt like he was just on the edge of tipping over. and 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 not that I was a big
1: fan of The Police, but you're in a three piece. So <laughs> you're, you're really responsible for a lot of the sound, you know, you, you have to be on pitch and yeah, you yeah, you you're getting, you're getting at it.
0: And, yeah. and Neil pert again, th- this is all yeah. f- uh, better suited for a separate discussion about yeah. like prog rock, like yes. There and and some yep. of these mm-hmm. other bands, the keyboardists yeah. and, right. you know, and, and everything. But in terms of to, to focus back on Pink Floyd, right. One scary thing that you mentioned was him being a genius and then losing his mind. Right. And I've read a lot recently, too, about how I don't I don't know what his diagnosis was offhand, right. but I would imagine it might have been schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And there's a weird potential correlation between people who have used mind altering drugs. So LSD, mm-hmm. uh, other other um, not psychotics. What am I? What, what's the, psychedelics? Psychedelics. Yeah. There
1: we go. And that could have been a problem with him as well, because. Again, you've got to remember the time, you know, right. and, and it was quite popular back
0: then. <laughs> it's and it's almost like a psychedelic. It, I don't want to say psychedelic induced psychosis because mm-hmm. that's I don't know enough about the terminology. But if right. you want to talk about schizophrenia or whatever it is, it seems like in some people that the it was pre existing mental illness. Think of it as just being dormant, right? And for some reason, and something about ag- those substances right. did. That and I have always wondered, about, that. yeah, that again,
1: not yeah. knowing anything about you know the psychology of it yeah that's right. very possible it could have been something there all the all along and the use of the drugs just
0: the earlier albums what was it amagama and atomic yeah. mother oh, i'm trying to think of what they were called the, what, <laughs> too many
1: years Yeah. but amagama i remember distinctly yeah yeah
0: so for me, I associate that sound, not just necessarily the music, but just literally like the recorded sound with like Jefferson Airplane and some of these other bands from... <laughs> Jefferson from Airplane, the,
1: that, the very first concert I ever went to. Really? Oh, yes. I didn't know
0: that. That's at, cool. At Wall Stadium. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. That's yeah, it's a long time ago. Is there
0: another hitchhiking story there?
1: No, no. there no. isn't oh, okay. actually. But there is a good story to that. <laughs> um, now, you got to remember, it's Wall Stadium. They built the stage and... and uh, at one point during the show, Gracie Slick started like yelling at fans. She said, hey, you guys, get out from under the stage. Stop trying to look up my dress. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone knows the Jefferson Airplane slash Starship or Gracie Slick, you'll know that really wasn't <laughs> too far out for her. Right. But uh, yeah, uh, and you see, you got me thinking about all these things. And going back to harmonies, uh, maybe the most harmonic band that ever lived, but this is going... Back and back, and it wasn't even really rock and roll. It was folk rock. Crosby, Stills, Nash. No, young, not young, yeah, not young yet. <laughs> but see, yeah, Crosby, Stills and Nash. That that was one of the first albums I ever bought. He added the uh, the Canadian flavor, the yeah, maple syrup. Exactly. Yeah, but uh, yeah, look it up. Sweet Judy Blue Eyes. Listen to that song and tell me that that them boys couldn't sing.
0: Oh, for, uh, absolutely. And it, yeah. it's interesting. See you. I, I've always respected your musical acumen and that's why I started off the way that I did with the crediting that I gave you because <laughs> you gravitate towards more complex and just richer material you love yeah. Tedeschi trucks right oh, as, absolutely as another band. I am
1: going to see them in July again so in long?
0: Connecticut this time with wait Chrissy or it,
1: well with my daughter and and her you know intended and and his parents Roxanne didn't want to make the trip up to Connecticut and, and they they was wanted to Things I like a lot about Tedeschi Trucks is the fact that they're bringing back an era of music that is almost relegated to you know pages of history. It's a 12-piece band or orchestra, if you will. I mean, you know, they have trumpet players and.
0: (laughs) I think we've spoken a little bit about Zach Brown before. He. Spiritually mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of them. Yes, uh, absolutely. I'm biased towards him as a, a fellow Tennessee Squire, okay. uh, clearly. <laughs> uh, but in terms of their sound, right? Originally, same thing. They were, I believe, a nine piece on stage, mm-hmm. and they had this really great country rock kind of sound. Right. But their individual interests are so unbelievably varied. If you look mm-hmm. at a set list, or a set of set lists, the bands that they cover and throw in in oh, the middle. Oh, of- Yeah, yes. Oh, Zac Brown. Yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about him much at all. And yeah,
1: and I'm not a big country guy, but yeah, Zac Brown really does it.
0: But the because pro- they
1: do cover a lot of different music. Yeah.
0: The problem, though, and I'm not accusing him of selling out or anything, <laughs> but if you look at the evolution, if you want to call it that, in their sound, they moved towards a muted. More radio-friendly vibe. I mean, I know they had they had a song with Chris Cornell from Soundgarden. Heavy is the the head mm-hmm. or heavy is the crown.
1: That's as heavy as you could get,
0: right? Which is definitely. great. But yeah. there's just some other stuff. They I think they had like a dance song. And again, <laughs> it, it, from, it, listen, it can it can absolutely work or not and right. and you know for me at least it doesn't work uh, one of my other mm-hmm. guests Brian Monzo we were discussing music and we were talking about one of the Foo Fighters albums where they went around it was Sonic Highways it was actually a documentary and the pitch for it initially was you know, eight cities or whatever it is where the cities influence the sound. So I was okay. thrilled because I'm thinking like, oh, okay, listen, they're going to be in New Orleans. They're going to have a brass section. They're going to be here. It's going to be like a country song. in Miami and the salsa. Yeah. And, yeah. And okay. I'm like, uh-huh. if there's ever a guy and a band that can pull this off, it's Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. Well, the yeah. s- it, music comes out. Turns out the music was written before <laughs> anything even happened. And it, and was, it was really was just all done in Portland. But yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and it was all just the lyrics that were supposedly influenced. And I I remember being furious because I had set myself up with these expectations, and clearly, who is Dave Grohl not to meet my expectations? How dare he! But uh, but when it um yes it came out a couple months later, someone mentioned in, in an interview they asked about oh well what, you know including local mm-hmm. sounds, and he scoffed at the notion. And he's like, <laughs> oh what? So we'd have you know again the things yeah. that I mentioned, mm-hmm. and I just I guess it never crossed his mind, and I just thought that would have been a cool. Way I to think that
1: would have actually so. been yeah should have been the way to go. I agree with you on that because it, here we go, another segue. I have literally no ambition to ever travel outside of the United States because there's so much interesting stuff to see here. I mean, God, you know, so much that you can see just without ever leaving, you know, the 48, leaving out Alaska and Hawaii, which might be the best. Um, Yeah, there's so much things I haven't seen in our country that, I still want
0: to do. I've had this debate with several people, <laughs> but one of my best friends uh, at length several times. When we were in college, my wife and I embarked on a couple of different road trips. like, like they big told me you yeah been all 50. So we, yeah, so we, yeah we've, God we've, God driven, we've, we've driven a 48 and almost drove to 49 of the 50. <laughs> and that, people, people goofed you on me. You tried to drive to Hawaii? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I did look into it. My brother was stationed there in 2007, and I wanted to know. This was more the fear of... Flying because I had never taken a a flight before and I was going to, I was jumping in. We were flying from Newark to SFO and the next day from SFO to Hawaii. There you go. Because I, yeah. Yeah. So I had looked into, (laughs) well, how much would it cost to, you know, drive across the country and ship it over? Clearly it wasn't practical, but. I wouldn't think so. He, my friend James Ferguson at the time. I mean, we're still friends now and that's not his name (laughs) at the time. See, again, senior moment. Back then, James and I were discussing this and he was taking trips to Costa Rica to, you Mm -hmm. know, the Caribbean and all these places. Um, And my focus was here. And I I asked him, I was like, dude, there's so much to see within the coasts here. Mm -hmm. Why not? explore that now and he he gave an interesting answer which i hadn't factored in but he said that that's more of like a family trip kind of thing which okay. at the time even though it was just heather and i we were just dating right. mm-hmm. we were married for some of it i get it because he was going off and not necessarily just you know yeah. having ragers wherever he went but like yeah. yes are are you more apt to go to to thailand you know as a single guy in your 20s or with with the kids yeah. you know no somehow
1: i don't see that happen right and I do get it. I know why they call them flyover states, because there's really nothing worthwhile to see in a lot of them. But just the fact that they're here, you know, like, yeah, I actually have been to St. Louis. I've seen the arch and, you know, I've gone to Tennessee. I still haven't gone to a few states,
0: but there's so many things that. And you know, the, the
1: shame of it... I'd like to see a tumbleweed. <laughs>
0: I ha- so funny thing about the tumbleweeds, they are not as soft as you would think they are. When we hit... So they're essentially branches mm-hmm. that have been rolled up. I'm, I'm thinking it's more like, you know, like hay or something soft. Right. Hell no. And those things, they sounded like depth charges going off, hitting a car. I don't know if you remember the little echo that we had. I thank God she made it through because that was something else. Oh, the, the, the wind's there. Now for me, growing up... You know, listen. My parents did the best that they could with what what with what they had and what we and had, and
1: that's what everybody. You know, I I believe everybody's parents tried their best. You know, mine failed objectively, but that's okay. <laughs> no, I just um, and yeah, you always and uh, I I try to do the best I could with my kids, who are both near your age, and you know. They seem well adjusted. So what? Forty nine,
0: fifty one. <laughs> uh,
1: trying to, they'll both get yeah. mad if you say hear this. No, 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 no. they're both in their thirties. So, yeah.
0: right. And for me, the vacations. And again, right. I never. This is the big thing for me. We didn't have everything. Clearly, mm-hmm. we didn't have cable until i was in high school mm-hmm. I, again i wasn't on a plane until i paid for it for my honeymoon right <laughs> never yeah. went to disney world yeah. and uh, you know and yeah. again none of that mattered because i w- i learned right. it was a great experience for me because it made me content and learned to live within my means and sure. be happy with what i've got yeah. and so the the vacations that we did take were all road trips and they were all yep. they we we made it up to every state in new england we made it as far west as pennsylvania and as far south as virginia maybe right. west virginia and so it just felt like almost like a tease, right, with with everything mm-hmm. else that was out there. And so yep. that sparked this wanderlust in me almost, there this desire go. to explore. And I always had that. I don't know how familiar you are with Brooklyn, but where I lived was down near where the Belt Parkway is. And I know my, that part of Brooklyn. <laughs> my, my my neighborhood was surrounded by water on three sides. There was basically one, yeah. one oh, yeah. road in and one road out. Mm-hmm. I, I, one Road Out, whoa, yeah. I'm turning into a I'm <laughs> a fun there. And so for me, Garrison Beach had this, through, it was almost a, a triumvirate, right? It was part Brooklyn, New York, obviously, mm-hmm. part New England because of the coastal setting, and then part Midwest, you know, small town, which that, that's a whole separate episode for that. But w- w- there was— The, the mind's uh, a beautiful w- thing. <laughs> at the end of what we call the avenue, right? Yeah. So at the end of Garrison Avenue, the main, the main drag, if you will, I could see the bay that eventually leads out to the Atlantic Ocean. So I'm I... looking out at the water, and then I see the highway— a, a, just across the border, and again uh, with a writer's mind and a, and a creative heart, mm. it just it did something in me. And, and to be honest, if I didn't have these experiences, I don't know that I would have been able to write the books that I wrote because so much of, of the fiction came from nonfiction from life. And what worries me, where my kids are concerned, now I'm finally getting to the point. After all this, thank, <laughs> thank God you don't charge uh, charge moment, for the word yeah. here. <laughs> but with my kids, I I'm curious to see what their relationship is with travel, because if I'm not mistaken, I think all three of them now are over 30 states driven to, visited right. to, been to, they've been to sure. Alaska, yeah. you know, and the shame of it is I wanted to wait for them to be the right age before we did some of those trips because mm-hmm. I wanted them to be able to remember. To, it. It, absolutely. But, yeah. And, and this is, this is unsolicited advice to anyone out there who's got kids and, and, you know, younger kids, especially you have no control over what they remember, regardless of the age that they are. And that's okay, right? Because, no, there are certain things that Tim and Sarah, if I bring up certain trips, Mm -hmm. that they'll reference. It could be, this time we stopped at a rest stop and this crazy, you know, funny thing in the bathroom, and I'm like, hey, Mm -hmm. we went to the St. Louis Arch and got to the top and saw to the other side of the country, but you remember the bathroom at the McDonald's in in Iowa. In Oshkosh. But but it doesn't matter because that's their memory, it's their
1: story. So, Mm-hmm. Talking about stories like growing up, people probably no, everybody should get this one. I used to be my parents' remote. <laughs> we didn't have remotes to change channels, it was <sighs> the remote get up was and, name and put Michael. channel two on, yeah, or it was Willie or it was Dennis, whoever was handy. That's who had to change the channel. I bet then again, we only had five channels back then, you had two, four. Five, seven, and eleven—that's <laughs> it. There wasn't, you know, five hundred channels with nothing on. Thank you, Bruce. You know, but uh, yeah, and, it's all. And again, but much like you, we didn't. We didn't take vacations. We went in the car. I'm one of nine. My parents—they couldn't afford to take us on vacation. Wait, it so
0: was, you were one of nine, yeah. and your parents had a TV? Yeah. Yeah. Irish American Catholics. Yeah, you know. <laughs> that, that was the, the running joke. Right. Yeah. And, you know, but, it, and this is another thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. TV went
0: off. <laughs> right. At 11 yeah, o'clock. Yeah, there you go. So I remember specifically, so I, we took the kids to Alaska in 2017, which again, whole episode to itself. And then in 2018, we did a cross country trip. So right. that was the first time that we took now the kids out there. Now, how old is there. Tim? And, at- so in that instance, Tim was seven, Sarah was four, and Jack was. Jack was. Oh no, baby. I'm sorry. For the cross country road trip, Tim was eight, Sarah was five, Jackson was three. Yeah, and you know we had already done other lesser trips, distance wise and whatnot. So God we were... bless
1: you went cross country with a three year old. Oh, can he was probably the easiest of the bunch though, because I nah, just go to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But, but five and seven, I, I, that was, yeah, they were interesting
0: ages. I, I remember that. I'm glad <laughs> that you say that though, because I remember distinctly three different times people coming up to me knowing that we were going on the trip Mm -hmm. asking if we were all ready for it and saying oh i bet you got all the movies loaded up on the iPads." (laughs) and i balked each time because i said the window is the ipad and they didn't really understand it i'm like no no, no, no. i get that yeah because there's so much to see and and it's also again (laughs) i got one foot and maybe one toe on on the soapbox now like
1: don't you like this Music.
0: Well, <laughs> show. you, you got to get your face out of the screen and live life. And for for people who have been around us with basketball, they're, they're yeah. chuckling because I'm constantly recording, you know, the games and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm technically watching it through the screen, but you're not there. watching but, it. Yes. But right. Yeah. But but in terms of the road trips, to me, the music was so important. And and mm-hmm. there's a soundtrack in my mind for every trip. And even my wife. My mm-hmm. wife has become more of a music person since okay. we got together. Yeah. But back in 2007 when we went on our honeymoon, the Foo Fighters <laughs> released a 10-year anniversary edition of their album The Color and the Shape, and that's yeah. the one that has Everlong and all all my favorite songs from there. And so I bought it and bought it in Hawaii, mind you, at <laughs> <Yeah>. like at <laughs> Best Buy. But we had that, we had the 51st date soundtrack, which for the movie the movie takes place in Hawaii, so that was right. intentional for that was us. Such to bring a that. good movie oh, too. It was great. I
1: mean, I, I I think they're so good together. You know, uh, Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Drew yeah. Barrymore. They, they, Just old age. What can I tell you? On screen <laughs> chemistry. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's, yes, that's, absolutely. <laughs> I, it's it does show.
0: You know. I, I'm telling you, I I got to copyright that conversational chemistry uh, phrase. I think it's a good one. And <laughs> I, then, I absolutely yeah that
1: uh, I told you that you know, on the side. I really like that.
0: And then the Plain White Tees had an album called Every Second Counts. And there was a song called Hey There, Delilah, which was, you know, plastered <laughs> everywhere. And so those three albums, we listened to, you know, nonstop on loop for the entirety of that, I almost said road the, trip, the, the honeymoon. Grossing, yeah. And for me, it was the soundtrack of that Moment that, that mm-hmm. honeymoon. I remember driving around the big island of Hawaii. We're driving up volcanoes. We're <laughs> we hiking across volcano fields. Right. You know, we're doing all these things. And those are the songs that I connect with. And it's funny, I remember too, everybody goofs on me that, you know, we, we make everything into a road trip. And we did. I mean, we covered the entire <laughs> island the, and we were there. Yeah. And then on Oahu, it was the same thing, whether whether we were doing Diamond Head or whatever it happened to be. And <laughs> I, I remember this one time. We went down to Iolani Palace, which for anybody who doesn't know is the only royal structure in the United States. That's right. That's your history lesson. There it is. Uh, (laughs) And we were visiting that and then the the state capitol building because we've done all 50 states and all 50 Mm -hmm. capitals. Oh, wow. And incongruently... Like across the street in downtown Honolulu, which is you know it's it's a metropolis, Mm -hmm. a small one. Yeah, there was a Starbucks, and so we got Starbucks. We had our they are, (laughs) we had our you know our drinks, whatever we had, and then off we went to road trip through the uh, across the island, (laughs) and we were going through like a, a not a forested area, but I remember there being trees. But more than that, I remember seeing a man with a a machete on the side of the road. And as one does when he sees a man with a machete, tells his wife to pull over. Uh, No. Mr. Machete (laughs) also happened to have coconuts. And I said, well, I'm on Hawaii. Like, hell yeah. Of course I'm going to get a coconut. You're still a brave man. (laughs) A man with a machete. And you stop. It was only like three bucks for the the coconut. So he, uh, you know, he lops the top off of this thing. And I'm slurping away. And it's great. I get back into the car, which was a rental. So sort of uh, a salient point cares, (laughs) And this sucker is dripping all over the place. And so fortunately, I still had my now empty Starbucks cup and into the cup, the coconut went and that became, I took a picture of it. It became sort of like one of my iconic images from the honeymoon (laughs) with this, you know, coconut Starbucks uh, combination. It's a new coffee for you. Coconut coffee yeah, yeah. <laughs> from Starbucks. Right. And so, you know, and again, the whole time that's happening, we're listening to those albums. And I guess to, to wrap things up, because I've kept you way longer, way longer than people here even realize. Um, <laughs> but I would like to put an end cap on it in this. And music is something that touches the soul. As, as lame as that might sound. It might
1: sound lame, but it is so true. I mean that that's it speaks to you or it speaks to me. I think it speaks to most people. Uh, it, yeah, it just it makes life bearable sometimes.
0: It it really does. It's catharsis. It's if you think about it, and maybe this is what it is. Music is emotion set to melody. Okay, you yeah. can be. The happiest you've ever been, and Mm -hmm. feel that in a song. Right. There are songs. The lowest
1: you could ever be, and you can hear that in a song. Absolutely, no.
0: And it it just resonates in a way that nothing else does. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate our friendship uh, more more than you know. Definitely more than you know.
1: Uh, uh, I think I got an idea because I feel much the same. And yeah.
0: and, And music is. A you big know, part. A, a yeah. big part of it. The yeah. sports is the other part. Maybe that's a separate episode, but nobody wants to hear us cry about the Vikings and the Jets. <laughs> well, no, the Jets have a good team now. Yeah. Hey, let's go. Super well, Bowl it, or bust. Listen, <laughs> it, it, as long as it's one of us, that, that's <laughs> all. Uh, you guys have a little less suffering historically than, than we do, but- mm, so, I
1: don't know about less suffering. Well, <laughs> you might have lost four Super Bowls, but we haven't gotten there in uh, 50 years. I, I was going <laughs> to-
0: But you've, I've shown you the picture of the 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 T-shirts that have the Vikings Super Bowl trophy case on it <laughs> with all yeah. the- cobwebs and stuff yeah. which by the way that that's such a not nice Vikings piece of paraphernalia yeah. the first time I ever saw that shirt was in the Mall of America oh, which is located in, in the state of Minnesota yes at the wait, you ready for this the Green Bay Packers team store oh, in the Mall of in America the Mall of in the middle of Minnesota it was wow. it was awful but anyway to, <laughs> I uh, I want to thank you for coming by this was a lot of fun oh my pleasure you're ever Absolutely. open to coming back again hopefully um, everyone listening we can finally listen fun.
1: and we can finally talk about music <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> this was so great uh, thanks again to Crossing Guard Mike yeah. Green my Mike pleasure Mr. Good Mike English for, for coming through and thank you to everyone who's listening wherever and whenever you are